What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to The Boochcast. This week, we have a very special episode for you guys, as we are once again playing a classic interview that I did with my good buddy, Buff the Stuff Bagwell, where we talk to WWE, WCW, and ECW legend, Raven. And growing up, I was a huge fan of Raven, as was my brother, so it was an honor and privilege to be able to talk to him. But before we get to that interview... I do have one quick announcement that I want to make here. As you can see, if you're clicking the link on social media, you know that we are now on a brand new... Now, of course, some of you might already know this if you saw my video on Facebook Live, but if you happen to be tuning into this episode before I did that Facebook Live video, then obviously this particular segment here is for you. Now, once we make our official return from our long hiatus that we've been taking, I will explain more in detail why I've made this decision. But I want you guys to know that as of now, no more episodes will be posted on SoundCloud. The episodes that are on SoundCloud right now will remain there for the time being, but at some point, I will be deleting SoundCloud. Now, more information will be coming later. I just wanted to mention this one little tidbit here to avoid any confusion. And that being said, I will give you guys the opportunity to sit back and enjoy as the Booch teams up with Buff the Stuff Bagwell to chat with the one and only Raven. And now, ladies and gentlemen, joining us on the Buff and Booch cast, ladies and gentlemen, it is an honor to have this guy on the show, major WCW star, major ECW star, WWE, TNA, has been everywhere. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Raven is here. Yes! Oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. (laughs) Dude, people have got no earthly idea. Well, I guess a lot of fans do, but they have no idea how far me and you go back, Scotty. They have no idea, bro. We go go back back to the beginning of your career. Exactly. I got the very top of my note. I got, you were the first guy I saw wrestling the ring that when you got out of the ring, I walked directly up to you. This would have been probably 1989, 1990. And I, I was like, oh my God, that's, show me how to do that. <laughs> how did you do that? What was that? Do you, do you remember that, Scotty? Where was that at? It was just at one of those sparkle skating rinks, you know, Joe Pettacino, you were Scotty the Body, and I was the fabulous Fabian. Right, the fabulous baby, and I totally forgot that. Yes, and you were Scotty the Body, dude. Yeah. That's good. You know what? People always said, man, you were so built when you were Scotty the Body. I'm like, no, I really wasn't. That was the whole idea was I wasn't that built so that, that, you know, claiming I had a body would be, you know, heat. But now the boys think I used to be built, and then I lost it. <laughs> well, you, but you, let's be straight up, though, Scotty. You did, you did look good, and it and it went with your gimmick because well, it went it went with your gimmick because of those great calves you got. Yeah, <laughs> you always you always just show me your calves. <laughs> I got to see if you remember the story. So we're we're just we're working for Global. Me and Buff are working for Global, and uh, this Texas. And a fight breaks out. There's like 20 people just throwing fists. Everybody's pounding each other. And all of a sudden, Buff goes, look at the calves on that guy. <laughs> remember that? Yes. I do remember. I was. I had a calf fetish, bro, because I didn't have any. So 
you know, um, that was a, a, a big body part for me. So that was, uh, you know, because I didn't have them and I wanted them. And so, uh, but yeah, but you were Scotty the body and people don't realize like I said, our career, my career started with watching you be a great wrestler, and I was trying to figure it out. And that's when I came up to you and Joe Pettacino. He was running that North Georgia Wrestling, and we were at a sparkle skating rink. And and, it, and I learned a lot, a lot from you from the just from the get go because I, I knew I could see you in the ring, and I could see that. Wait a minute. This is this is that, that's what I want to look like when I do this. So, when I came up to you and asked you that, you know, um, then the next thing I know, we're we're out in global, and you're now Scott Anthony, the Palm Beach heartthrob, and I was you the was handsome stranger. I was the handsome stranger. <laughs> I still I love that. We did this one angle where I was hiding in the stands dressed up like an old lady. You're going to tell the cane story, and please tell it. Tell it. I still have the cane. I still have it. Do you really? Yeah, I saved it because it so, it's such a great part of my career. But, the uh, yeah, so me and Buck, we were doing this angle where I'm dressed up like an old I came up with this idea to dress up like an old lady out in the, in the audience. And then I had a cane and I had an autograph book, so I handed him the autograph book as he's walking around the ring to sign it. And as he goes to grab it, I drop it. When he bends over, I whack him on the back with the cane. And with his back, is huge. So I'm like, oh, this cane's going to snap like nothing. I whack him, cane, just nothing. The cane was like Superman. I whacked him again, I whacked him again. The cane would not break. I was like, son of a bitch. <laughs> and we thought for sure it would break and we can continue the match with the broken stick. Oh my God, they broke the stick on his back. So if you remember, you kind of did it two or three times. And I was like, Scotty, I'm not sure I can take another one of those. <laughs> that cane's pretty thick. <laughs> and, and, and the best part was when I was out in the audience, some fan recognized me and he's like, he's like, I'm gonna call the New York Times. That's just Scott Anthony to Bobby Tarts. I've got dressed up like an old lady. I'm like, yeah, like the New York Times really cares. Believe it or not, the other day I actually was watching some tapes that somebody had sent me, and it was that match, and I didn't know it. I'm coming around the ring and I'm handing out the roses, doing the handsome stranger deal. And all of a sudden, you see a fan come into the picture frame, and he's going, "That's got, that's got Anthony. That's got." He's trying to, you know, he's trying to stooge you off. Yeah. And, and you know, and I'm I'm coming around through there, you know, and and trying to play off like it's kind of wish that guy would sit down and shut up, you know. And all of a sudden, the book drops, and then you told the rest the cane wouldn't break. But uh, but we had a lot, we had a lot of good times out there too, man. That's really truthfully where I kind of started figuring it out a little bit. Cause yeah, and when you figured it out, man, I, I hadn't seen you in a couple of years. And <laughs> up the locker room, and I was like, and all of a sudden, like, so I figured, you know, you were still, you know, because you, you hadn't watched wrestling. So I figured, you know, like, you didn't have that motivation to do it like we did because you weren't a fan. But in the meantime, you got that motivation. And I came in the locker room to visit, and... uh and, I, and you were in a tag match with Sergeant... Uh, the patrol guys. The state patrolman. Yeah. And uh, and so the three of them are going over, three of them are going over to match, and you're shaving the back of your neck. And I'm like, God, oh, typical Buff, he's not paying, or typical Marcus, he's not paying attention. All of a sudden, Marcus goes, all right, and, then, and they're going, what do you want to do next? And Marcus goes, this is what we'll do. We'll do this, this, and this. You do that. I'll do this. You do that. I'll do this, this, and this. And then we'll go home. 
I'm like, holy shit. He really learned. <laughs> he really finally learned. Yeah, man, but you really got it. It's like, I was just, I was like, holy crap, man. Like, very rarely do people ever, people that, that don't get it after a couple of years never, ever get it. But, man, you took you a little bit, but then you just turned the switch, man, and you got it, man, You and you've been great ever since. Thank you so much. And like I said, I got people like you to thank for it. I, you know, you know, I was not a shy kid uh, ever. And so I would always go up to somebody, whether it be uh, a big bodybuilder in the gym that had good arms or good shoulders down to a great wrestler like Raven and say, hey, man, how did you do that? And, and, and show me how and, and, and how, how can I you know make myself better? And, and so I was really, really very, very unshy, and so that helped me a lot with, with you know, guys, you know, that would help me and turn out and say things, but I was wanting to see if you remembered that, you know, that WCW locker room thing, I was going to bring Never it up with it. That I was mean, classic. I, I, I can picture you in a mirror with a, with a razor, with an electric razor, and a mirror, <laughs> and a handheld mirror so you can see the back of your neck, and I was just like, yeah, I Oh, the picture's embedded in my mind. <laughs> I'll never forget, as soon as everybody walked out of the room, you looked at me and you went, you finally got it. You really do. That was great. I and mean, if you remember, we went out and did exactly what I called. <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and I remember, I even remember you telling me that, that you, were, you were working with Terry Taylor and he had you in a chin lock or something, or you had him in a chin something like that. But it was, it, was, it was either you were working Terry Taylor or you was watching a match of his, and then it just started to click. It was. Terry really did a big uh, job for me, helping me out with this business, and that was because he would get right in your ear and, and, and tell you the spot clear and you could hear it. And the good thing, the only thing I had going for me is I could do all the moves. I didn't know how or when or how to make it make sense, but I could do well, all the, of the, the moves. The fact that you were like like gorgeous didn't hurt either. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That did help a little bit. That helped a little bit. But, you know, I was thinking when I was writing my notes today to, to call you, do you realize that we just talked about all of them, but we have been in four different angles together with as four different names each. Do you know that? Four. Four. Wow. Now, I'm stretching the four, but really it's true because Buff wasn't created yet. It was Marcus Alexander Bagwell versus Flamingo. Right. Oh, yeah, right. So so it's three companies, but four characters each. You were Scotty the Body, Scott Anthony the Palm Beach Heartthrob. You were... um, uh, for let's see, third you were uh, Flamingo, Flamingo, Scotty Flamingo, and then you were Raven, and then I was Fabulous Fabian, uh, Handsome Stranger, Marcus Alexander Bagwell, and then Buff Bagwell versus Raven. So we had four different characters each, and, you know, and that's a lot. I was expecting to rough, but you know what I was going to say? I think they they messed up at first though. Is they should have made you a heel, like you would have had an easier time learning. Like especially being, you know, with the, with the name and the looks and the build, I think you would have got caught on even quicker if they would have started you as a heel in WCW. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. I know that now uh, from, you know, from knowing the business that, yeah, me being a heel, I would have learned a lot quicker. But 
then again, when I started getting the hang of it a little, like guys like Terry Taylor and, you know, Ravens and, and guys like that, they were such good workers, you know, they knew they could call it to me and I could go do it and not make us look stupid or, you know, <laughs> look bad and look dumb. And so it was, a, you know, it was always beat Bagwell, you know, because it was a, it was a good win. Yeah, I could do all the moves, and like he said, I was a pretty good-looking kid, so they, the guy got a good win, and Dusty would always tell me, he said, baby, don't worry about it. It ain't going to hurt you, baby. It ain't going to hurt well, you. You know what? The thing was, nobody knew you could talk. Like, you know, nobody. I, I had no idea. I mean, once you became a heel, like, all of a sudden, you know, like, you know in the locker room, people started to realize you could talk, you know, but, but you were quite Like, people, you know, like, if I told people now that you were quiet, like in the locker room and like W and Global and stuff, people wouldn't believe that. No way. <laughs> There's yeah, no way. I remember walking into the Global dressing room for the first time, and the heels and the babies were in the same locker room. And here we came from North Georgia wrestling where nobody told us to do that, so we'd get in the ring and look like a bunch of idiots against each other, unless it was somebody like you that could guide a, a match and could lead a match. So there's a bunch of green guys getting in the ring and we look like complete idiots. And then I walk into I walk into Global and I went, wait a minute, you guys can can talk before you go out to wrestle? And they said, yeah, I said, I, I think I may be able to do this. <laughs> I think I can figure this out now, you know. So you know that's that's and then plus not to, you know, the talent out there, hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert, you know, Patriot, Raven, Lightning Kid, which was X Pac. I mean, you know, it was just a lot of good talent was out there, but you know, and uh, so I, I learned a whole lot from Global, and I went from Global right to WCW. You know, do you remember that match we had in WCW? It was a six man. Me and the Texas uh, uh, Shanghai Pierce and Tex Slasinger uh, and Shanghai Pierce, Terry Taylor and somebody else, and we did the Malachi crunch for the for the finish. You had we had you had the baby faces backed all three heels into the corner, threw us all together, and then I got squished between the two Texans. Yes, yes, we had a lot of good matches with those guys. They were heck, they were damn good workers, dude. They were big. Yeah. Even he even, got chewed out by Watchford, bastard. Yes, he got he got rid of him, that bastard. Well, uh, Boots has got a question for you, Scotty. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, Scotty. And um, I, I I promise I got plenty of wrestling questions uh, for the listeners out there. But I got I got to go a little bit uh, on a different topic for a second because I got to tell this story. Um, in addition to doing this show with Buff, I'm also a comedian. And a couple really? of years, yes. And I remember a couple of years ago, I was at the Punchline. And I was hanging out with some friends, and they all knew I loved wrestling. And they came up to me, and they said, Boots, you're not going to believe this. You should have been here last week. I'm like, what happened? He goes, Raven was here. I'm like, cool. Like, he was he was in the audience watching the show. He goes, no, dude, he was on stage. Raven's doing stand-up. And I was blown away because I was like, I would have thought I – and I went online. I read about it, and I know you did this tour with, like, Bob and Tom and everything. So I, I have to ask the question – what made you decide to go into stand-up comedy? Well, I was—it's it's actually kind of a weird story. Like, my dad was really funny, but he was like Don Rickles. It was all insult humor. So, so he was like—I was always the butt of his jokes, but it was funny. But it killed my self-esteem as a kid, so it made me like really insecure. But I didn't realize it because you know I, I just thought he was just joking, which he was. But but it still ruins your self-esteem. So 
I became really egotistical, but I also had this great desire to be funny. And, and I was so not funny as a kid. Like, I was unfunny. Like, as unfunny as you can be, but trying to be funny, which is even worse. Oh. And so I started getting funnier and funnier and learning what was funny. And I always wanted to do stand-up, but writing a joke and being funny in a locker room, you know, and being funny among your friends is two different things entirely. And, uh, but eventually I was on some tour and I, and I finally wrote a joke, like wrote an actual like, you know, like a two, like a 45 minute, 45 second minute bit. And I was like, and, and I ran a by a bunch of people and it was funny. And I was like, man. And so then, then another bit came to me and another bit. And next thing you know, I had 45 minutes worth of material. And it wasn't great, but it, there was, there was at least 15, 20 minutes of good material. And uh, I got booked as uh, my first, my first live gig ever was an open mic. It was actually a paid gig as a headliner. And, uh, and That's I great. There and I had no nerves. I wasn't nervous at all until I stepped on stage and grabbed the mic, and then my knee started shaking like you know, like 100 miles an hour. My knee was going up and down, up and down. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, but I did it. And then after that, I I got um, I started. I toured a little bit with Bob Levy, the Reverend Bob Levy, and then uh, and then then I started thinking, well, if I'm gonna, I need to start doing open mics and perfect this because if I want to do more of it. You know, I don't want to get paid gigs and then people not invite me back because you know I wasn't as good as I needed to be. So I started doing that, and then I stopped. Then um, I had shoulder surgery, and I took like a year off of life to recover. You know, just laying on my couch and just doing nothing because it took forever to recover. And uh, and then I started doing stand up again, and I usually do about six, seven gigs a year. I don't do a lot because I'm lazy. And uh, I mean, it's like <laughs> I, I would like to get booked a little more doing stand up than I do, but. It's also, you know, like to get the kind of money I want. You know, it's it's yeah, you know what I mean. It's like it's easier getting paid to do to wrestle, you know, the kind of money I want than it is to get stand up money. And uh, plus, I don't really know any like any people who are booking people, you know, stand ups. So I'm really I just when people you know people will call me or email me and say, hey, we want to book you. I'm like great, but I, I haven't really done any work as far as getting an agent or anything to do it, you know. Speaking speaking of funny, Scotty, tell the killer tire story. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, give it to uh, us. And we have so we have, me and Buck have so many ridiculous adventures. Wait, first I want to tell him about running late to the show, and I'm waiting for Buck to pick me up, and I'm like, oh man, we're never gonna make our flight. And then uh, finally, I told my roommate, I said, Juan, that's it, forget it, just drive me to the airport. And as we get into the car, you pull up in a brand new, whatever year. I had a big jacked up Jeep, big 91, brand new white chrome wheels. I mean, beautiful, big white Jeep. Yeah, brand new, $60,000 at the time, brand new. And he's like, get in. We go hauling ass. We get to the airport. We pull up to the, to the to where he drop off. He goes, I'm just leaving the Jeep here. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah. He goes, I got grab your bags and lock the doors. We're leaving the Jeep here. <laughs> and then you just, you threw the keys to some black guy who was standing there. He's like, I'll park. I'm like, great. Go ahead. <laughs> Dude, we had to. If you remember, that was like our first GWF show. And, and here I am, because of me, we're going to be late. And I just said, yeah, I just parked it on the curb and said, take it. We got to go. We got to go, man. Wow. <laughs> and then he had to get it out of, out of, uh, out of uh, impound, I guess. Yes, yes, exactly. But, but Buff, Buff was the, I don't know if he's told you, but he's the master of making the last flight home. 
Like, oh, world champion. I've, I've been at shows where there was a flight at like 9.15, the last flight, and Buck leaves the ring at like 9.30 and still makes it on time. <laughs> <laughs> there used to be bets saying there's no way, Bagel, you're going to make it this time. There's just no way. Third match is in. There's no way. And we, the next time we saw each other, like that beginning of the week or whatever, you'd be like, I cannot believe you made it home. <laughs> But tell the tell the killer star tire story, Scotty. Yeah, so so we're um, we're running late for the that's the last flight out. We're in a, on the last match, so he gets out of the ring first because we worked each other, I guess. And he's in the car. He's in his wrestling gear. I come running out the back door. He's got the the door open, the engine running. I dive in. We go hauling ass. We're driving as fast as we can, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a tire. Comes spinning, comes rolling across the intersection, heading for our like for our lane, dead center between the two of us. And a tire, we're doing like eighty. The tire's doing like eighty because it must have fallen off a truck. How big of a tire was it, Scotty? It was enormous. And all I could say was, <laughs> and I could, I opened my mouth to go, "Oh my God, look at it!" And before I could do it, before I could even get anything out, he cut the wheel, swerved, tire missed us, the car behind us. So I turned around because bus driving. Tire the car behind us, he swerves. The car behind him gets hit with the tire and goes into a tailspin. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the kind of shit you can't make up, bro. Yeah, I think you make that up. Like, but it was so crazy. I mean, it was coming for dead center between the two of us, and we were like, I mean, it would have just smashed right through the car. But it would have killed us. It was like a big tractor train, a big tractor tire or something. You know, it was a big yeah. giant tire. And oh, that's the same night. It was in my mixing the two nights up. Brown was but took a bump out of the pickup truck that was driving us to the to the, uh, the rental car place. That was a different night. That was the night that the rental car bus left us, and we were going to miss Mar- Marcus Bagwell was going to finally miss a flight. And I said, "Bullshit! Hold on a second. And I got a guy behind the counter to drive us in his pickup truck, except it was a little bitty pickup truck. So me and you are in the back. We're in the you back. You changed from if you're into street clothes and you're wrestling gear at the building. I didn't have time, so I'm in my I'm in my wrestling gear trying to pull it off. The guy hits a bump. I almost fall out the back. I'm falling out the back of the truck. The back will grab and Marcus grabs me, yanks me, pulls, pulls me back in by the tights. Saved my life. Let me tell you what that's the same night of that I guarantee you, you have forgotten. We got on the airplane after getting we in the back water. of there. Huh? We played Warper Shots at Jack. Oh, my God, you remember. Hey. <laughs> yes. But where did we go when we landed? Oh, club anytime. Club anytime. <laughs> and I'm wearing a pair of your Velcro blue jeans. <laughs> remember the old school Velcro stuff they had? And I remember that's when you told me that you had a fetish for for women on the jump seat on the airplane. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I still I still have that fetish. But Booch has got another question for you, Scotty. Absolutely. And, um, well, in addition to um, a lot of things in your career, one of the things that you were most known for was um, the flock in WCW. It was you, Scotty Riggs, who we've had on the show in the past, uh, Perry Saturn, Billy Kidman. And I know I was a fan of the flock, so was my brother, most definitely. So I have to ask, how did the idea for the flock come about? 
Well, actually, the, we had I had a I had a group called Ravens Nest in ECW, and so Terry Taylor liked that, and he just brought just decided to load me up with guys um, when I got to WCW, and uh, and first he brought in Stevie, but me and Stevie by that point were ready to kill each other, so Stevie um, Stevie didn't work out, and then uh, and then I picked Sick Boy, uh, so I was I was going to pick out the guys, I was going to pick out all new guys like nobody that nobody had ever seen before. But they wanted to recycle a bunch of guys and give me retreads. So the only one I really – so I picked Sick Boy. I wanted Saturn like, to be the one guy that wasn't a retread. Um, they gave me Kidman. Then they gave me Ron Reese and Van Hammer, which nothing against them. But, you know, everybody knew them as other gimmicks. I wanted to have people that nobody had seen before. I thought it would have more impact. You know what I mean? But, um, yeah, I, 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 I agree with that. We did something, you know, getting the, black, the, the patch of the eye to – you know, gave a reason to be different. You know what I mean? Yeah, I thought it was great. Whenever we were in the ring, you know, there was a time there, Scotty, where the flock was really over. You know, I mean, we were, I was in the NWO, and I remember still being in the NWO, looking out in the crowd, and when y'all came down and sat down, it just was cool. It was really cool. You got set in the audience, and it was like y'all were just checking everybody out, and you could at any time take over and kick anybody's ass, and I thought it was, I was, I was a fan of the flock. I mean, I really was. You, man. It was really, it was really, really a cool thing, and without you, there wouldn't have been no peace to it, to even hold together, but, you know, just being honest, but I wish they would have let you do what you're saying because I'm with you on that. It's hard. That's like changing gimmicks. It's hard to change your gimmick. And, and, and you know, if I change my gimmick, they're still going to say, hey, there's Buff. And if you change your gimmick, they're going to say, hey, there's Raven. Yeah, right. You know, so you wanted fresh new blood. I get it. Especially, especially with guys that are like Van Hammer is just, no matter what, he's Van Hammer. You know yes. I mean? Like, there's no disguise in him, you know. Like, Riggs, Riggs was different because, we you know, we – we injured him and made him like a gang initiation, and then we put a patch on his eye. So it was, you know, so we, we you know, gave him a surly attitude. So it changed him from being, you know, the you know hand clapping American males. You know what I mean? But but I really would have liked to have all guys, you know, from the power plant. You know, a bunch of guys that I could just shape and mold and really teach, and guys that nobody had seen before, um, because it just to, to the to the audience at home. Whenever somebody's repackaged, nine times, not every time, but nine times out of ten, they go, oh, that's just so-and-so, you know? Yes. Like, when you became buff, they didn't do that because you modified, which, like, you made it, you took yourself in a whole different direction, and you carried the ball, you know what I mean? Right. But for, for these guys who were going to be sidekicks, it was just like, well, let's just get in these sidekicks, you know what I mean? But Yes. And, and I would have, and, and so it didn't do them any favors either because... You know, other than they gave him a paycheck, but like Ron Reese, I would have like me if I if I was running it, I would have taken him and had him train with somebody like you know, like somebody really talented and really make him into a to a monster. You know what I mean? Like you know, like if you if you're gonna if you're gonna keep a seven foot guy, you know, make him into a monster. You know what I mean? But I, you know, I, I think I think the giant watching him carry Kidman out to the ring on a, on a piggyback. <laughs> I think having the giant kind of hurt him a little bit too, you know, because we're at, we here we are we're trying to push the big giant, and then right. Reese is a giant too, and which one's the giant? Who's the biggest? So that that didn't help Ron by no means because Ron could work, bro. Ron could work, yeah, and he really yeah, was a I great mean, talent. He, he was, was good. In a bad position because he was always going to be the number two giant, 
You know, it, yes. it would have been better to keep him off TV and re and just really re repackage him, like grow his hair out, you know, something make him grow a beard and a mustache and you know, something I mean so so you might so you don't even recognize him, you know what I mean? Right. You know. And same with Dan Hammer, like they should have, you know, and kept him off TV longer because you know, he'd been on TV for ten years on WCW. They should have kept him off for a couple of years, you know, and just paid him to sit at home for a year or two and let people forget about him, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and what was great was about the flock was that you guys did go out of your way to be different. Everybody brought something different to the table. And one thing I noticed that was different was um, you, one of the trademarks that you had was that when you would get in the ring, you would always just everybody would like crawl up the turn, would like climb up the turnbuckles. Everybody's like doing all the crazy stuff, and you would just come in, sit right at the corner, and they would always zoom in on you, and you just be there ready. So I was just curious, what made you decide to uh, choose sitting in the corner when you got out to the ring? Um, the the kind of the idea I, I remember watching Jake the Snake and he would slither into the corner and pull himself up and I thought what if I just sit in the corner you know and just and and, and I remember Jerry Jarrett telling me he goes when when he saw it he goes he goes I love that he goes I don't know why you're sitting in the corner but it's intriguing and that's what I thought I thought it'd be intriguing like why is this guy so is he so depressed is he so He's so caring, uncaring that he doesn't give a shit. Is he so he, confident? Is he so tough? Is he tortured? Is he, or is he just, um, is it like a tactical thing? I, you know, there's so many ways you can look at it. Like, you know, whereas everybody else is all amped up, getting ready for their match. Whereas, or you can look at it as I had everything. I knew everything I was going to do, so I was just totally content. Like, I give you a good example. Is um, you watch uh, UFC at all? Oh yeah, yes. You know that Carolina Kolka Volchik or whatever? Ever remember her? She uh, she was uh, she fought um, uh, the, the champion a couple times, almost won. Um, anyway, when she's when they when she gets into in the cage, she circles and then she stops, puts her hands behind her back, and just leans against the cage like she's so casual. She has no she nothing's going to affect her, nothing's going to bother her. And that's kind of what I wanted to be. You know, that's kind of what I, my thing was was. That I was so casual that this doesn't even make me get a break of sweat, and and it was really cool to see her do that because it was like it was kind of the same you know thing, but. Oh, it's exactly the same thing. I, I got I, what I got from it was what you said. It looked like you were confident. You had it figured out, and here's the main thing I loved it for, because nobody else did it. Exactly. Nobody else has ever done it since. And that's cool to me, and that means that's why that's why Raven is still a big name in this business and will be forever. And, and just little things like that that nobody ever thought about, you did, and that was cool to see you in the corner and how you would come up, you know. And, and Dallas had his little corner thing. He would try to, I think, he was trying to copy you a little bit, I think maybe, but but you came from the ground. You were on the ground with your leg up, just saw, you know, just laid back, almost asleep, you know. But it was yeah. a, it was a cool asleep. It was like, hey man, wake up and go kick this guy's ass. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like my my whole thought was was like, you know what? I I know I got this covered. I'm not even worried about it. So I'm just going to chill until it's time. Yeah, somebody ring the bell so I kick this guy's ass. Also benefit because ECW when I wrestled Sandman, he'd come out for I'd be in the ring first, and his entrance music enter Sandman was five minutes and seventeen seconds, Ugh. and he would milk, he would walk around the crowd, pour beers, drink beer. For the entire five minutes and seventeen seconds, 
So for me, I was like, I'm glad I'm sitting in the corner because otherwise I have to be standing this whole time. <laughs> that's actually that's a lot. It's a long time, dude, to be standing there and, and trying to be but trying to I look cool. Remember this, but but Lodi's, I told you, so Lodi still kicks himself because we were at uh, Sturgis. You hadn't bought the buff, the top hat yet. I told Lodi, I seen, I saw a leather top hat. I was like, Lodi, you gotta buy that. It's so cool. You will look so cool with a top hat. Like, ah, I don't want to wear a top hat. I'm like, don't argue with me. Just buy it. And he was being belligerent. He's like, ah, I'm not getting it. I don't want to spend 40 bucks. I go, I'll loan you the 40 bucks. I'll buy it for you. <laughs> no, I don't want to wear it. I'm like, fine, whatever. He has and no idea what he missed out on. Like, <laughs> it was so brilliant. I was like, ah, I... Oh, I Lodi was like, oh man, I should have got it. <laughs> I bought that top hat just kind of joking around. And and uh, at the time, it was my second wife was with me. And she's like, that that really looks good on you. And I was like, really? And I was in her buying some ball caps. I was a big ball cap freak. And, and so I, got, I bought it, you know, and I went home with it. And then I, can you imagine Marcus Alexander Bagwell bringing a top hat in front of a, the Steiners, Luger, Sting, Uh-oh. I got ripped apart. How did how did your hat survive? Like, how did it not get destroyed by that? I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. The only time it ever got messed with, and I think I may have told you this, and I may not have, but it's a really good story as a truth. WWF, everybody knows uh, the stories of that with, with my career only wrestling once and yeehaw, yeehaw, whatever. But I remember being in the A locker room on accident one time at, and it was in, it was in, it was in Atlanta. And I've been told by Jim Ross to stay home, let my head heal up. And they got big plans for me on Monday in Atlanta. So I'm in, I'm in Atlanta for my big plans and my top hat was sitting there and I had to, I needed a Coke or something to drink or something. So I got up, went and got it. When I came back, my top hat was squished in. Uh, and I was like, so I, of course, you know, in wrestling, I didn't sell it a bit, nothing. I sat there and heard it, heard it. Co- no, you can't, you can't. There's no way to sell it. You cannot sell it. So I'm, I fix it. I hear a couple of snickers in the background, a couple of giggles. I fix the hat back. About 30 minutes goes by. I needed something else. So I got up, went out, got it. When I came back, top hat was squashed in again. So uh, I fix it here, a few giggles again. All of a sudden, I, I got I need, I got to go to the bathroom or something. So I got up to go to the bathroom and realized or what was getting ready to happen. So I just turned around and punched my own top hat in. <laughs> I just punched my own top hat in and I walked out of that room going ha 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 fucking now do something with that motherfuckers <laughs> I get back to the locker room and it was fixed <laughs> wrestling wrestlers are brutal bro yeah. they're yeah. brutal you know what's funny too is like you became such a professional but like when you were younger, I couldn't, I could never see you carrying a hat to every show. You know what I mean? Yes. Like that would have driven you nuts. Oh, uh, now I got a hat box that goes everywhere I go, and everybody wants to think it's an instrument. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, but it, man, but it got over. You know, but 
but you became such a professional. Like, but I, can you imagine, like, when you were a handsome stranger, you would they would have told you you got to carry around a hat box everywhere you went. You'd have been like, oh, I quit. Yeah, I quit. I'm out of here. I'm going back home. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, um, we were, and obviously we're talking about uh, WWE, and um, I remember when you were in WWE, um, you were the, you were actually the hardcore champion twenty seven times during your time actually there. 30, actually, it's thirty nine, but they they never listed correctly. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. I I would definitely want to hear about that. But I also know that um, obviously at the time, you know, the twenty four seven rule was a big part of that because they had the hardcore title defended twenty four seven. So I wanted to ask you what that experience was like competing in that, but also. Currently in WWE today, they brought back a 24-7 title, which is basically, you know, that minus the hardcore. So I want to know, what were your thoughts on the 24-7 title in WWE right now and your time competing with the hardcore belt? I think it's, I think it's a lot of fun, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I, I don't watch wrestling now, so I don't really, I mean, so I keep up with it, so I know that that's going on, but I don't really watch it, so, you know, but R-Truth's a great character, man. He's talented, so we're powered to him. Um... But when I did it, it was, I mean, I had so much fun with it because, like, to me, it's all about being creative in the ring. And when you can use props and weapons and you can fight around the building, there's so much other stuff that you can add to the match to make it even more interesting and unique, you know, and make it original and different from everybody else's stuff. So I loved it. Like, I remember one time me and, uh, me and Bob Holly were working and, and we went to it and we decided, I forget, I mean, he, I, I'm sure he did it to me instead of me doing it to him because I was a heel. But uh, I always remember, like, in the old movies where the guy gets slid down the bar and smashes into all the bottles. So he's, uh, he slid me down a bunch of tables that have, like, all the coffee pots on them and stuff like that. And then uh, one time I had him, uh, somebody stick my head in the toilet and touch it. <laughs> and, uh, and, but then the, the bad part was my hair was so long it started to get sucked into the ball. I was like, holy shit, I'm going to get my hair. I'm going to be drowning in here. <laughs> Luckily, I pulled my head up from time. <laughs> Oh, it would have been ridiculous, but but I, I loved it because it gave me so much more variety, you know, to play with. The hardcore thing too, man. It's uh, you know you, you talk, you see these weapons and everybody trying to do it, but it really truly is when it turns to live TV. Hardcore really becomes hardcore because you know you you just you don't want to look stupid. Nobody wants to look stupid in the ring. So hardcore, I mean, I remember ECW guys, when they would get to us, like Public Enemy, you know, guys, you, you could work. And, you know, Public Enemy, was, they were good workers, but they wasn't no, they wasn't no raven right. by no means, you know. But when they got to us, dude, they were like, thank God. Thank God we're finally here. <laughs> you know, because going through the tables every night and all that, and WCW was a cakewalk compared to that, you know? Yeah. We're down there shooting in air-conditioned buildings at, at the, you know, at the studio where TNA's been and XWF and all that stuff, so, and WCW. So, it, it's, you know, the, it just, it's just a big deal, you know, the, the hardcore thing does turn it up a lot, you know, it makes it, makes it a lot more real for the fans, I think. You know, you know what's funny is the first time I was, I, I wanted like, first Sabu was, uh, was like the only guy who went through tables, and then he left, and then the Flyboy Rocco Rock Ted Petty started doing it, because mm-hmm. somebody, because the, the gimmick was over, and I was like, uh, I was like, man, I want to try that, but I was terrified, I thought, man, this is going to hurt so bad, and uh, I was shitting myself, but I was like, now nah, I got to do it anyway, and once I went through it, I'm like, this is great, I want to go through tables all the time. <laughs> exactly. I got a quick public enemy story. Public enemy 
when they first came into our company, we was in Miami, and I'll never forget this. God rest both of their souls. They're not with us anymore, but they could confirm this if they did. And they, Kevin Sullivan was our booker, and they came to me and they said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna you know you know put you through a table." And I said, "What?" what? Because this, this this stuff wasn't done at WCW. You know, we didn't do those kind right. of things. And so all of a sudden, it got to be two tables. And I said, Kevin, there's no way that. And, and, and they and I and Teddy pulled me to the side and he goes, Listen, bro, this will be the easiest bump you've ever taken in your life. And I'm like, Teddy, yeah. I'm going. I'm getting ready to go through two tables and. I, I'm not that dumb either. I, I, I'm a rookie, but I ain't that stupid. I said, so this is going to hurt, you know? And so the American males versus public enemy, here comes time for the finish. They set the two tables up uh, so Teddy could jump from the, to the outside on top of me. So really the tables are almost, you know, even, even to the top of the ropes. Exactly. So here I am on the top turnbuckle somehow. I mean, top row, top, top table. Here comes Teddy off. He does that flip. Remember, he flipped onto you when he did it. And we just went right through both tables, and it looked devastating and not a scratch on me, you know. But yeah. God, it looked phenomenal, you know. Then, But then again, Sid does it and nearly cuts his you know arm off, and there's been, you know, Fifth Finley. You know, it ruined his career. You know, so tables are dangerous, you know. Remember when Fit cut his lower leg and had to wear that special boot and all that? That was from a table slicing it. No, no, who, who was it? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Fit Finley. Oh, Fit Finley. Do you remember that? Really? Yeah. No, I was in everything. Some, somehow the board, the metal, they didn't saw it or something, and the metal came off the wood, and it sliced his leg to where the last few years I wrestled Fit... Because he, of course, you know, fits a badass, so he still kept wrestling. But he literally had a special brace for it. So I think if you were to ask Fit, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but if you were able to ask Fit, I, I'm pretty sure that almost ended his career because he couldn't quite go as as much as he could go before. And yeah, he, they probably they probably because they gimmick the table. The, the table is safer if you don't gimmick it. Absolutely, just just go as is, right? Just let the table be normal and go through it, right? Yeah, absolutely. They try to gimmick it a look. They try to get it. They try to cut it. They try to cut it. Even though I know it's not going to hurt, and I'm laying on the table, and I see Saturn up on the top row (laughs) on the floor, and he's getting ready to splash me, like 250 pounds, I'm just like, oh, this is going to hurt, but it doesn't. No, it's crazy. It's kind of, it kind of weirdly doesn't hurt. It's strange. Yeah. Yeah. Well, bro, first of all, I want to tell you thanks so much for taking time out, for having us, you know, just for just taking your time out to be on our show. It, it's a big Anytime. deal. It's a, it's, it's a huge deal to have you on the show. I just want to, I mean, really, man, thank you so much, bro, really. Yay to me. Yeah, yeah, yay to you for real. <laughs> little applause button for you there baby yes. but really thank you so much and uh, you know Booch is a huge fan of yours too and he wanted to say something too one last thing absolutely man I just wanted to say I want to thank you for taking time to be on the show and you know answering the questions like I said I was um, I was a fan of yours like with the flock like I said my brother and I were, were huge fans you know I was I was kind of a raven guy my brother more leaned towards Billy Kidman but 
overall, we love the flock and you guys are fantastic. And um, I just wanted to say, you know, thank you so much. And um, if you ever if you ever get back into stand up and you need an opener, I'll be happy to help you. <laughs> hey, Raven, thank you so much for your time, bro. And you have a great day. And just thank you so much, that brother. Was great going down memory lane with you, Buff. Hey, I appreciate it, man. We've got a lot of memories, including always the killer tire. (laughs) (laughs) All right, brother. Peace out. Peace out. Take care. All right. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was our interview with the one and only Raven. And I got to tell you, I loved being part of this interview. I was a little bit starstruck, I will admit, because like I said, Raven was one of those guys I, I grew up watching. But what I also enjoyed the most was listening to Raven and Buff talk. And that's what I got to say was an advantage about being a co-host and letting Buff kind of take the lead on the podcast because Buff is an amazing storyteller and always has great things to talk about. Like learning that him and Raven were at one point a tag team, which I never knew. And the fact that they had a rivalry consisted of four different characters in each storylines. Like they had each had their own gimmicks. And at one point during those gimmicks, they feuded as each of those gimmicks was awesome. And it blew my mind because these were things about wrestling that I didn't know. And, you know, I pride myself on being a wrestling encyclopedia. I pride myself on knowing a lot about wrestling history. But what I love about getting into the business is I get to learn things that I didn't know before. Whenever I learn something new about the business, it re-energizes my love for the business. So to hear these stories was phenomenal. And then to talk about Raven and his stand-up comedy was even better. And to find out that he is a comedian, that he loves doing it, you know, because I'm a comedian myself. So it was just insanely entertaining, as well as learning about how the flock came about, why he sits in the corner in the ring. Just things I always wanted to know about Raven, but never really got a chance to, you know, find out through any other interviews that he did. To hear that was amazing. So this was a great, great interview. I really hope you guys enjoyed it. And obviously, we got a few more uh, classic interviews we're going to be playing uh, before we officially make our return around WrestleMania is when we're going to be making our return. And then, of course, the week after that is when we're going to be doing the uh, regular uh, scheduled Boochcast segments the way that we do them, which is where I will explain in further why we're making the transition from SoundCloud to Anchor. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you can make sure to follow us on Anchor. We are at anchor.fm slash theboochcast. And of course, also, we are available on Spotify as well because Anchor allows us to distribute from different platforms. So you can find us on Spotify. We are also on Breaker and we are also on Google Podcasts. So you can go to each of those sites and type in the Boochcast and you will find us. So we are on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, and Google Podcasts. So make sure you're following us on all of those podcast hosts sites, whichever one you guys uh, prefer to use, pick it, click it, check out the show. And of course, make sure you're following us on our social media platforms. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theboochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. I have the latest episode of Complain Time that just dropped with special guest Boochcast alumni Jerry Truman. So make sure you check that out. Booch and Truman back together for an episode of Complain Time. Also, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at theboochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Check them out on our social media sites. Also, make sure you guys subscribe 
subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can check out, we got Dark Side of the Ring coming out. Uh, the Mysterious Death of Gorgeous Gino recently dropped on the YouTube channel. And of course, this coming Thursday will be the Fabulous Moolah. We'll be reviewing the Fabulous Moolah. And as well, you can check out our St. Patrick's Day Dancing Leprechaun video if you haven't seen that already. So we got that and many more on the YouTube channel. So make sure you hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified so you never miss any more YouTube content we got coming forward. Also, make sure you are following us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast. We do live watch parties on there. We've got our Boochcast Dungeons and Dragons show that we're still in development on, but we are going to get to that soon. We're just trying to work out everybody's schedules because everybody's out of whack and dealing with personal shit, which is why we took this hiatus in the first place. But we are hoping to get that back on track soon. So make sure you guys uh, follow us on Twitch. But we do have a watch party planned in the works. Uh, for WrestleMania 37, since we all decided not to go to Tampa, we'll explain why during the WrestleMania 37 recap on the Boochcast. But know that there is going to be a streaming watch party coming for WrestleMania weekend. So make sure you follow us for that. April 10th, April 11th, we will be planning something for you guys. And of course, support the show through Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash theboochcast. We have great rewards for great patrons for as little as $1 a month. Just $1 a month. You guys can help us keep the show going. You can help us uh, take care of the, you know, pay the bills, keep the lights on, upgrade the equipment, bring in some bigger name guests that you guys want to hear. Also, it helps me take care of my guys and gal that support this show. And of course, if you have some extra spending cash, you want to take advantage of some of the other rewards that we have feel free to do so as well no pressure just throwing that out there for the fans and until next time this is Vinny Bucci aka the Booch saying keep on living life and take care this has been the Booch cast I'll talk to you guys next time until then pizza baby well I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye goodbye so long so long farewell farewell be good. Stay well. Bye bye. Keep warm. Relax. And eat. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. A la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again.